Echo Chamber, brought to you by The Homes Report and produced by the international broadcast specialist, Marketeers for DC. Welcome to The Echo Chamber. This is Arthi Shaw of The Homes Report. We have an interesting show today that features two very accomplished and smart industry leaders who now sit in the same firm. We'll have Finn Partners founding partner, Peter Finn, joining us in the second half of the show. But first we have Sabrina Horn, who's a tech legend of sorts, whose firm was recently bought by Finn Partners. Welcome, Sabrina. Thank you very much, Artie. It's wonderful to be on your program. Thank you. Very, very exciting. Well, Sabrina, Sabrina has recently announced big news in September. Um, Sabrina, you sold your, your agency, Horn, which has been around for, oh my gosh, 25 years. Is that, that's right. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, 24 actually to be precise, but yeah, it was, um, you know, it, it was something that uh, I've been thinking about for a couple of years and finally decided to get serious about it in uh, 2015. Yep, and so you sold to Finn, um, and a fellow independent, Finn Partners. Um, Finn Partners is a relatively new agency that spun out um, of the of the split between uh, Reuter Finn, and, and Finn is uh, now, Finn Partners is now, uh, I think about 70 million, um, at the 70 million mark. So it is it is a, it's a solid mid-size agency. Um so I, that was actually my first question for you, Sabrina, is, you know, did you intentionally look to sell to an independent or is that something that just happened? You know, I think that was uh, uh, definitely something that was important to me to to find uh, an agency of like mind um, and spirit. And so being an independent agency was definitely a very attractive aspect um, of uh, selling to, to Peter Finn and his company. One of the things that came out a few years ago, you know, we have the independent PR forum that we do in Miami every year that, that year that, that Peter um, um, was at this year. And I think he's actually at most years. And one of the things that had come out of that was um, a lot of independents had said that, you know, they would prefer to sell to another independent rather than to, you know, that, that traditional um, big agency sort of holding model, publicly traded holding model um, structure. And so I'm, I'm curious what, if you could elaborate a little bit on what you found to be the benefits of selling to an independent. Yeah. You know, I think for me, mostly it was a cultural thing. If you're an independent agency culture, you, you choose to be independent and remain so for very specific reasons. And, um, if you're an independent, you can kind of chart your own course and in a way control more of your own destiny you um, are probably a firm that values culture and um, employee development very, very much. And those were certainly things that were near and dear to my heart and were very special to the Horn Group for, for 24 years. So uh, you, you just find, you find uh, an agency that's more of like mind and spirit, and they value the same things. And in the case of Finn Partners, that was definitely true. Um, they've won the same kinds of awards that the Horn Group did for being the best employer uh, and so forth. So, um, you know, birds of a feather flock together. Mm -hmm. So, yeah, I mean, increasingly I'm hearing that even at the bigger, at the larger holding companies, that they're re-examining their, their acquisition strategy because that the earnout model um, kind of tends to leave the holding company with an agency that was sort of a shell of what they bought because of the way the earnouts are structured, you know, the, the, 
the, the founders of the of the agency that was bought, they, they tend to kind of have to squeeze everything out of their people. People get burnt out. And then by the, by the time the earnout's over in that three to five years, it just what they bought is, is oftentimes lost. So it'll be interesting to see even how the big agencies start to rethink their, their acquisition models as well. So, I mean, so taking that into consideration, I mean, it, it's still, it's still an adjustment, right? I mean, you've gone from, and you know, you and, and, and the organization and the team that you've built went from operating, you know, an agency that was around the $10 million mark, um, to kind of moving into being a practice area of a larger agency that's, that's, you know, 70 million sort of on the trajectory to be a hundred million, probably, you know, I'm guessing in the next, um, five years or so. Mm-hmm. So, um, Tell me a little bit about how that adjustment, how that, how well, a how that adjustment's been so far, and b sort of what you've been doing to sort of help your team sort of transition into that environment. Okay, well, that's you know that's a great question because um, you know I'm only going to sell my company once, right? And you want to make sure that you sell it to to the right uh, to the right company. And the transition now it's been not quite not quite two months. Um, since we made the announcement. Um, and, you know, I have to say that the way that Finn Partners structured the deal and the, and, and the entrepreneurialism around how the deal was structured, um, in as much as things are different, they also have stayed the same. So, yes, we are part of a larger agency, but the way we operate now as one team is pretty much the same way we operated before when it was just Horn Group. Um, and each deal that Peter does is structured differently. But in this case, you know, obviously I've been an entrepreneur for a long time and um, putting too much structure around um, the way things are moving forward would, wouldn't feel comfortable, right? So, you know, we're pitching the same, you know, business together. We're supporting clients together. Some of our teams are integrated. Some of them are still, you know, uh, separate. It's really based on what clients want. So, you know, I have to say, um, the things that were really critical to, to, to integrate have been handled really well. Like our IT systems and our emails are now integrated. Um, uh, we're sharing content from our website to Finn Partners website. Um, things like that. You know, in San Francisco, the Horn Group team has moved into Finn Partners' office. Um, in New York, um, we're not in Finn Partners' offices yet because they're um, moving to a different floor and that's not ready yet. But uh, in the absence of being fully there, we're like sharing people. So some of their people come down to 55 Broad and some of us are going up to 57th Street every week. So um, you have to be flexible. Um, and you have to be, um, kind of open to like, Oh, we forgot about this. And then you just come together and fix it. So, so are you going after business, um, you know, as this integrated team that maybe you, you didn't, you know, you wouldn't have been able to go after as just horn or are you sort of tapping into those sort of synergies? I guess I know, I know Finn has a, especially out here has a pretty good, um, consumer portfolio as well. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, they they have actually they have a good consumer tech mm-hmm. practice on both coasts. Um, I've come to find out. Um, you know, already it's kind of a mixture of both. Mm-hmm. Like um, recently, uh, we pitched a, a, a large uh, potential account, and it was just an all Horn Group team. 
Um, but that was because of the uh, expertise that was required for the particular prospect. Um, uh, but then on the other hand, you know, yesterday I joined um, a Fin Partners team here in, in the Bay Area to go meet with a couple of prospects. So it's kind of a mixture of both, and it, it depends upon the expertise that's required at the table mostly. So what will become of the horn branding? I mean, um, you know, I've been out here long enough that mm-hmm. everybody, you know, I say horn and everybody knows who I'm talking about. Mm-hmm. Um, well, will you retain that at least for the short term or is the plan to integrate fully into Finn as soon as possible? Uh, no, they, um, you know, I think Peter, Peter and his team, they bought the horn group for its brand. And so by definition, it needs to, you know, stick around. So the Horn Group brand will um, be around for the short term uh, through the end of 2016, um, and then it will be folded into Fin Partners after that. Mm-hmm. And the I, when we reported on the acquisition, we said that the tech practice is $20 million um, approximately at Fin. Now, does that include the acquisition? Is that is that what it is now, or is that what it was prior to the acquisition? No, it's the, the tech practice, uh, and you can clarify those numbers with Peter, um, but the tech practice is $20 million in billings, including the Horn Group. Okay, so now it is now the largest practice at Finn. Yeah, it always was mm-hmm. and, and still is with us. Okay, okay. Yeah. So, um, it, you know, you, you mentioned that in two, it was 2015 in which you got serious about selling. And I'm just curious, was there any impetus or anything that you noticed in the market or that really made you think that now was the right time to sell? In, the, in happening in the market? No. I mean, it was really a more of a personal decision. Mm-hmm. And, you know, you do anything for more than 20 years, you got yeah. you know, mm-hmm. at some point you mm-hmm. have to like make a plan. Otherwise, you know, you're, I'm going to be doing this when I'm 80. Yeah. <laughs> and, yeah. Uh, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So, um, no, it was really just a personal decision. And mm-hmm. I mean, look, you know, we're in a good economic cycle. Um, things continue to, to look good knock on wood for the next year or two, three years out. Um, the tech industry is booming. So I figured it, you know, it was a good a time as any. Yeah, I mean, that's um, clearly, I mean, out here, th- this boom has been incredibly good to technology. In fact, we mm-hmm. ranked our fastest growing agencies globally. I mean, this is global, not even just the U.S. And three or four out of the 10 were based out of Silicon Valley. I mean, that just goes to show you how good this boom has been to to the PR industry. Although I'm in conversations I'm having with people, I would say over the last several weeks, maybe since, since the summer, um, people are becoming a little bit more conservative and there is this sense of, I was just having lunch with somebody yesterday and, mm-hmm. and she was saying that, you know, she's starting to sort of lay the groundwork and prepare for a cooling over the next 18 months that, you know, I mean, she doesn't, she was saying that, I mean, no one really knows the, there will be a correction. No one really knows the severity of it, whether it'll be modest or, or, or more severe. Um, so are you, is that, you you seem more optimistic. Yeah, you know it's wild and woolly out there. I got to tell you, it's mm-hmm. um, it's it is crazy. And you know the the way things are, um, I don't think is sustainable. Um, and uh, it it's um, I, there will be a correction, but I don't think that it's going to be um, 
a huge bust, you know, I think that, um, it's just going to, it's going to be a softer, more gradual market correction. I don't think it's going to be as cataclysmic as the one in, uh, 2000, Mm -hmm. 2001 was. And, um, I am optimistic. I think we're smarter this go around. I think, um, you know, sometimes companies will naturally self-select out, um, of this crazy trajectory, um, and I think we're, we've just learned a few more lessons uh, this go around. So, you know, yeah, there'll be a correction, but I don't think it's going to be cataclysmic. So when we look back on this phase of growth in the tech sector, what do you <clears throat> think will be the takeaways? I mean, if, if you know, the, the mid-2000s was sort of social networking, that was sort of when the social spirit emerged, um, what what will we look back on? Um, what will be the shorthand for this for this growth phase? I mean, is it the on demand technology, the, the on demand services, or, or what do you think? Um, I think it's three things. That's a great question. Um, I would say number one, the cybersecurity space for sure, and we're just scratching the surface there now in terms of technology that is elevating uh, the security issue. Uh, and it's it's at the board level now, you know, it's in the C-suite. So, um, there, and and we're seeing a lot of interest in um, prospects in the security, cybersecurity space ourselves. Secondarily, I think, um, and this is also just starting, like the whole e-payments, blockchain space, um, the Bitcoin ecosystem, we're just starting to see that. And I think next year is going to be... Um, a huge kind of explosion in that space with lots and lots of startups. Um, and then I think also looking back, you know, the bloom is kind of off the rose here a little bit, but, um, I would say the ad tech advertising technology sector, you know, really came into the scene in the last five years. There's still lots of innovation, uh, waiting to happen in like a second generation in the ad tech sector. Um, so I, I think those three are the, the ones that, um, um, that I see is the most popular or going to be hot in the next couple of years. Mm-hmm. So, um, one of the things that I think you and I have had conversations about, and you know, that's about women, both, um, in leadership positions in, in our industry and in, in, in the PR sector, and then also the role of women in technology, um, and, you know, kind of on a larger scale. And you're, you're someone who can speak to both. Obviously, mm-hmm. you've, you've been a, a business leader in our, in our business. And I don't know if you've seen the stats, right? But I studied this um, uh, this year. And, you know, so we, you know, women make up about 70% of the workforce at all levels in PR. When you go to the CEO levels, um, women are about 30%. Um, so, you know, there's something that's happening between, um, you know, women entering into the PR workforce and then reaching sort of that very top level position. And many of the women, many of that 30% are women like yourself who started their own, their own firms. Um, if you look at the top 10, top 15 agencies, there's even fewer women at the, at the top. Um, so I just wanted to get sort of your thoughts on women leadership in PR and what, um, what the industry, what we should be doing to really foster more, um, parity at, at, at that most senior level. Right. Uh, you know, I think it's on a couple of levels. I think part of it is that um, having more uh, women in the academic system looking for degrees in public relations, communications, but also MBAs, 
you know, you, you don't have to necessarily start your career in PR and then and find your way to the top at, at a CEO level. You can be a business woman in other fields and then become a CEO in the PR industry. And there was a recent um, article that just came out in Business Insider, I believe, that said that a recent statistic shows that 40% of the students now are getting MBAs are women in, I think, Ivy League schools. I may have um, some of those details incorrect, and you might want to check that out. But that's really promising, right? Mm-hmm. If 40% of students are, are women getting MBAs and business degrees, we're making progress. And so, so I think it, you know, it starts there in academia. But I also think that um, while we're making progress, we're not there yet. You know, maybe in the next five years, that 30% number will be 50%. Um, and it, it certainly isn't something that's going to happen overnight. You know, it's taken us 20 years to get to get to 30% now, right? right. So, mm-hmm. you know, I think it's, it's a gradual um, evolution. It's not a revolution. And I think um, there's so much more awareness now around women being... Um, able to be in the C-suite and that acceptance and financial parity as well, um, that there's more opportunity and more chances for that to even occur. But then I also think it's up to women themselves to not shy away from that opportunity, to keep pushing. You know, you're never going to get anywhere in life if, if you give up. So um, you, you, have to, you have to keep pushing for that mm-hmm. if that's what you want. Mm-hmm. And um, it just takes time. So the, the other area of this is, I mean, obviously there's been a lot of um, study around the women in, in technology in particular, um, and, you know, in non-marketing comms roles, but, but just sort of in the, in the sector in general. So you've been around long enough, and so I'm just curious to sort of get your pulse on, on what you've seen in, ter- in terms of the role of women in the tech sector from, you know, 19... Or, early 90s, you know, yeah. to, to, to today, what kind of progress have we made? Yeah, so, of course, you know, like I started the Horn Group in 1991, and I was 29 years old, and um, I was probably one of less than a handful of women running small PR agencies or boutiques at that time. You know, I can, I can think of, you know, maybe two or three other women at that time who were doing that. And um, women in technology in general at that time, you know, on the engineering front, I don't think you would ever see a single woman as an engineer at that time. Maybe, maybe one or two. And so, like, if you fast forward to today, there's so much progress that has been made. And um, are we there? You know, we're not there yet. But uh, we've made an awful lot of progress. And it's... It is, again, like it's women pushing for themselves, breaking through those stigmas and um, stereotypes that men or and even other women have of each other, right? And saying like, you know, no, like uh, we're capable of doing these uh, jobs and having these roles and titles and salaries. Mm -hmm. So I think we've made an awful lot of progress. um, And every woman that enters... Uh, uh, the tech field today or women in the C-suite creates opportunity for more women to do the same thing. And so we have to lead by example and we have to encourage and we can't give up. Mm -hmm. 
Yeah, no, well, well said. Um, I mean, even if you look around at Silicon Valley, I mean, the number, the the number of female led organizations, I mean, I I just, I can immediately just think of at least like 15 to 20 of them. Right. Um, Mm -hmm. And in fact, when I, when I did the piece earlier this year on women in leadership positions, you know, I, I did sort of shine the spotlight on the big agencies. Um, yeah, but I, I got so many responses from people saying, but you know, but what about, you know, what about the Sabrina horns? Mm-hmm. What about the hatches? What about the markets and the, and the Karens, what, you know, or now Alexander Constantinople. And that's certainly, I mean, you, you can't, I mean, it, what I, I love that, that Silicon Valley has sort of created this entrepreneurial culture that women have gravitated to just as much as, as men have. Um, but, but I do think that there is something to be said about, about the big agencies, right, and the influence that they wield on the industry as a whole, yeah. um, and so and so, it would be great to see some of that, some of that translate to, yeah. to some of those top jobs at the big agencies. But no, I, I think it's fantastic, and and I think Sabrina, you're sort of looked at as sort of a pioneer in that regard. Um, I mean, you know, you've been you've been around for for a while now, and you've seen a lot. Is there anything else in terms of the trends that you've seen in technology that would you know, for a lot of folks that, that I talked to, you know, they, they, they sort of emerged around sort of the 2008 recession. And so that's sort of the, that's their frame of reference. Whereas you, you have, you know, you have, you can go even farther back than that. So mm-hmm. anything else in terms of what you've seen and what that means sort of um, in terms of the future or sort of what kind of trajectory you think the tech sector is on now? Um, yeah, I think, you mean from a technology standpoint? Technology from the business, from, you know, I mean, one of, I mean, there's, so I actually, let's, because we, we, we touched on some of the technology already. So let's talk a little bit about the role of PR and sort of the hype cycle and sort of how that's played yeah. into things this time around. Um, right. One of, you know, I mean, obviously I've had conversations, you know, the word innovation is so overused and, and, and sort of this balance out between sort of hype and, and reality. Um, I mean, there, there's just so many way, ways in which sort of communications, their role has evolved in, in, ter- in terms of, I've, I mean, I've heard that they're coming in earlier and earlier at startups now yeah. um, because it used to be that you only wanted PR to come in when you had a product ready for market, but not, that's not true anymore because you want PRs to come in and help build your valuation or make you more attractive for a sale, even perhaps even before you, you even have a, a fully viable product. Um, so anyway, just curious to hear sort of, I guess, yeah, the role that comms has played in, in technology in the startup scene. Right. Yeah. So, you know, t- referencing this whole um, phenomenon right now around unicorns, which is, uh, it's, it makes me chuckle. Because, you know, unicorns are mythical, mystical little creatures. They don't exist. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and, you know, like, what are these companies? Like, they have these billion-dollar valuations. But what, what is underneath all of them? And I think um, whether you're a venture capitalist or a PR professional um, or a business partner, you have to be careful when looking at the companies you want to do business with because there is this hype cycle right now around um, the halo effect, right, of um, these companies that have these inc- enormous valuations that are being fed by VCs and, and by PR people. And uh, are they real businesses? Do they have a minimum viable product? Do they have customers? Do they even have a fully rounded um, executive team? And um, I actually just wrote a blog post on business fundamentals, like, 
in times like these, when it feels like it's too good to be true, you really have to look at, like, is this a solid company? Is there experienced executive leadership in, in place? How, how is this leadership going to protect itself in the event of a, of a correction? And, um, you know, are they cowboys or are they really focused on business performance and being financially prudent and not taking more venture money than they really need to? You know, you, so you really have to kind of look under the hood a little bit more and make your own intelligent assessment about how viable these companies are. And... You know, the other thing is talent right now. Talent is so tight across the board, like whether it's in PR or in engineering um, or even in leadership. Like there's just not enough people in this finite universe to supply the demand from all of this innovation. Um, they're growing at different rates. And so all of a sudden, if there's a correction, this incredible need for talent it is going to suddenly go away because there's going to be extra talent available, right. <laughs> you know? And mm -hmm. so it's, it's so volatile. Like the highs are really high mm -hmm. and the lows are really low. Right. And so I think, you know, in public relations as a communicator, you know, I look at business fundamentals. Let's not get out over our skis in terms of the, the companies that we take on as clients, but also in how we do PR for them. And like, are the stories real? Does the product really work, um, you know, or is it is it just kind of like a, a shell? So I, I don't know if that is a very specific answer to your question, but I think we have to be prudent in how we conduct business right now because we otherwise we risk contributing to this already kind of inflated world we live in. Yeah, no, I think that's um, you, you sort of covered a lot of ground there. But um, in particular, I mean, talent. I mean, that's the most consistent thing I hear across every, yeah. you know, both agency leader and also even increasingly people that are in house is yeah. it's brutal. Yeah, it's like where do I find my people? Yeah. Um, and it's become. I mean, you know, globally we see this. Um, you know, the biggest challenge that in agency leaders tell us they have is. We're attracting and retaining good people, um, but I think that's even more amplified here in the Bay Area. I think oh, it's, yeah. yeah, absolutely, it is. It's wicked tough, mm -hmm. and um, you know, it's hard to keep agency people because they're attracted to um, the bright lights and big city equity options mm -hmm. within startups. And you know, the thing that you have to remember is nine out of ten startups fail. And, you know, they may have this, you know, huge success and then they flame out mm -hmm. too, too early. Um, and, you know, you really, really have to have to remember that. And uh, but uh, it, it is it's extremely tough right now. It's also tough in other markets like um, in New York, but there's more of a diversity of talent there. So it, it's a little bit easier. Right. Well, I mean, that's sort of. Um well, I mean, everyone seems to know someone who knows someone who, you know, who is at the right time at the right place. And even though to your point that, I mean, nine out of 10 of them don't see that kind of success. Yeah. I mean, there is that sort of gold rush mentality out here where everybody wants to at least try. Um, and it, it was funny because I was talking to some in-house leaders the other day and they were saying that they sometimes have the opposite problem where people are coming to them 
and and they're having to say, look, I can't train you. Like you need mm-hmm. to go work at an agency for a little while. Like I I right. don't yeah, I don't have the staff or the resources. Um, so so they're like send, they're sending people back to to the agency world. So um, anyway, but yeah, the the, the talent challenge is, is very very real out here. Well, Sabrina, I am glad that we got a chance to catch up on all of the exciting things that have happened with your business. And I am looking forward to sort of keeping an eye and seeing how things grow and evolve as you sort of integrate more with Finn Partners. Yeah. Well, it's always um, such a pleasure to talk with you. And uh, I thank you for inviting me onto your forum here. And um, I definitely will um, look to keep you posted like early next year, how things are going. And, um, it's still early days, but yes, uh, so far so good. In, in, indeed, indeed. We just spoke to Sabrina Horn, whose tech firm was very recently acquired by Finn Partners. Now on the line, we have um, founding partner Peter Finn joining us. Welcome, Peter. Hi, Artie. Very nice to be with you today. So, Peter, you're joining us from, from New York. Correct. Yes. Yeah, I think I can hear some taxi cabs there in the background. Um, It's always a telltale sign. So, you know, Peter, I mean, everyone in the industry, I think, sort of knows the, the, the founding story of Finn Partners. You know, Finn Partners was born out of Rotor Finn. That was split was about four years ago. I think December will be the fourth, the fourth year anniversary of Finn Partners. Now that it's been four years, what's sort of your perspective on, on sort of the split and, and sort of the genesis of, of Finn Partners? Well, I think that it really has been uh, fantastic both for Ruder Finn and for Finn Partners. You know, it, it freed uh, both teams to um, follow their own path and grow the business in the way they felt was best. And so I think it's a very positive development for it. It was a very positive development, continues to be for everybody that was involved. And, and so for Finn Partners in particular, I mean, you all have seen tremendous growth. I mean, so I think what we've reported is you've, we've seen revenues increase from $25 million to about $70 million with some really interesting acquisitions along the way. Obviously, we just talked to Sabrina about the Horn acquisition. There was Winmeyer in Washington, um, Johnson King, um, some, some acquisitions out of Nashville this year. So I'm curious to sort of hear a little bit about your acquisition strategy and sort of what you look for as you look as you grow from partners in that way. Well, there are a number of um, important elements of our um, what we look for in, in uh, as we're exploring possible acquisitions. Probably most important is we look for people who share our core values, which is very important. And there are acquisition opportunities we walk away from because it's clear that the management team of the other firm would not be a good fit for us in terms of our core values. So collaboration is um, a a critical uh, core value for us. There's another core value that's related to that that we we all talk about all the time here, and that's work hard and play nice. You know, I believe that uh, to be successful in business, you don't have to be ruthless. In fact, I believe that if you treat people well, um, your colleagues and our clients and, you know, everybody that you encounter in business, that that pays dividends and that you can absolutely be very successful in business and also be a nice and kind person. Um, we, ha- we have a non- number of other core values. Um, amaze is one of our core values and we all strive every day to amaze our clients and to amaze everyone in the business community that we uh, come into contact with. Um, so anyway, uh, one of the key things we look for in evaluating acquisition opportunities is that there's a shared 
um, uh, a feeling that the core, our core values would work well with the team that's joining us. Mm -hmm. um, so well, we have, we have, but we have some other things that we look for in, in our acquisitions. So let me talk a little bit about those things. Um, we are, uh, in every acquisition, we are looking to strengthen our practice areas. We are, uh, in some cases, we're looking to strengthen our market position in the given market, or we're entering a new market that's strategically important, or we feel that there's a special opportunity for us. And we're, we're also looking to uh, enhance our overall brand and marketplace reputation. So those are the key mm -hmm. drivers for us in every acquisition we're looking at. So, okay, so a couple of questions to follow up on. I mean, so we've, we've all seen, um, we've all seen acquisitions in which, you know, the, a, a larger agency buys a really unique specialist or boutique that um, through the course of, you know, usually an earnout, um, that, that, that special quality about the, the, the agency that was bought is, is lost, right? I mean, it, it sort of gets lost in, in, in the sea of the bigger agency. So is there anything in particular that, that you do, and, and perhaps as an independent, you sort of have the freedom and the flexibility to, to more aggressively ensure that the agencies you buy sort of retain what's unique to them? But I'm curious to know, like, how do you, how do, you, how do, you do that? Well, you know, we give the leadership team of the, the firms we acquire a great deal of freedom and flexibility, and we want them to do what they do best. So first of all, um, there, there's no instance I can think of where um, we, we restrict their ability to, you know, flourish in their practice area. Um, I think also we, we, we structure our deals quite differently than the rest of the industry, and I'm obviously not, you know, uh, in a position to discuss it, particularly to how we structure our deals, but um, we structure our deals specifically to encourage collaboration and to reward the leadership of the firms that we acquire for their contributions to Fin Partners overall. Most acquisitions are structured in a way to drive the management team of the acquired firm into a silo, and we do the opposite. So. Um, we, we um, embrace collaboration, and it's actually built into the very structure of our deals. That's actually really interesting. I was, you know, I've recently had conversations with several big agency folks who have actually commented on how ineffective in the long run it's been to have the acquired agency sort of exist in a silo, especially throughout um, the earnout period, and then try to integrate it in you know, three to five years out. So I, I know you, you said you can't say too many details, but is there anything you, you can say about how, how you really foster that collaboration? Because, I mean, that, that, isn't, that isn't the norm on, on you know, how acquisitions have typically been done in, in this industry. Um, so first of all, it, it has to do with the first conversation we have with the owners of a firm that we're interested in. Unless they, they share this desire to be in a collaborative environment, we won't pursue a deal. And there are some times when, when there are um, firms that, that just want to, you know, they, they want to be acquired, but they just want to be left alone to do their own thing and not be part of the bigger team. So it starts with the first conversation where we talk about collaboration and how the, the, the core um, part of this is, the theory is that together we can do more, be much more successful than we can individually. And I can tell you definitively, we've seen this happen again and again uh, in the acquisitions we've made, where we've won business together that neither Fin Partners or the acquired agency would have won uh, independently. Um, so th that's um, 
that that's part of the very first conversation, and it's discussed throughout the, the process. And as I said, it's it's built into the deal. The rewards are um, based on the contributions that the management team makes to the greater whole of Fin Partners. They're 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 the deal is structured to incentivize them to bring in business for any part of Fin Partners. So if it's a U.S. agency or New York agency, they're, they're rewarded for bringing business in for our, our European operations. Our, we have a 45-person digital team. Uh, they're they're incentivized to bring in business for our digital team or, or you know different U.S. offices. So that's about as much as I could say. But it, I can say that it's completely different from the way um, most acquirers structure their deals. So do you have agencies that come to you and say, look, I mean, you know, in, in these early conversations and say, gosh, you know, I'm so glad to, um, I, I would prefer to sell to an independent. Like I, I, I you know, maybe because of the, what you just outlined, um, there are probably other reasons that they, they feel like there would be more of a culture fit for an independent to buy another independent versus being bought by, um, you know, one of the, the, the holding company agencies. Um, are, are you hearing that more, or, or, or do you hear the Absolutely. opposite? Yeah. I, I mean, I think all the firms we've acquired have said to me that they just would not want to sell to a holding company agency, that they, they feel it would not be an environment that would work for them. And um, when I have my first meeting and we talk about how we structure deals and collaboration, uh, what happens often is the management team from the other firm says to me, how soon can we start? You know, this sounds fantastic. This is exactly what we're looking for. And I could tell you that there are, there are regularly firms that approach me that have heard about what's happening at Fin Partners and say, I want to be part of this. And there are literally at the moment about a dozen firms that I'm in various stages of discussions with that want to be part of Fin Partners, and they won't all work out, but the, it's, it's very active. There are many firms that want to be part of Fin Partners, and it's clear to me that they would add enormous strength and depth to Fin Partners if we are able to find a way to come together. So, uh, you know, you've mentioned your core values and, and, you know, and I've heard that in the market as well, you know, work hard, play nice, make a difference in the world, amaze, some of the others you talked about. Can you point to specific policies or agency initiatives that you all have at Finn Partners to turn this from sort of a value into a business practice? Well, um, we made a commitment. First of all, we have a, a management team here. Uh, we, have, we have quite a number of managing partners and the managing partners are the, the individuals who run um, offices or groups within some of our, our larger offices or practices. And then we have a group of founding management partners. And those are the people who were with me at my prior agency who said you know, to me and with me, they said, you know what, we're going to do this. We believe in something different, and we want to join forces together and do something new, and it's going to be Fin Partners. So um, this group of, of uh, founding management partners made a commitment earlier this year, that we would donate a million dollars a year of pro bono work. And we've communicated this to our staff, to all of our office and group heads, and uh, we're, we're very active in, um, in, 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 this, in doing pro bono work. Um, we get a lot of requests and we can't honor them all, but uh, we, all of our uh, offices and groups are free to choose wh where they want to do their pro bono work. And, uh, but we're trying to unify the pro bono work ar around um, education and trying to help uh, less privileged. Mm -hmm. um, so that's one that that relates to 
um, the one of the values that you mentioned that I actually hadn't mentioned, which is um, that we're world citizens, that we have a responsibility to try and help make the world a better place. And you know, we're we're very fortunate that we have a lot of resources at our disposal. And you know, we don't don't want to use our resources, which is our team and you know all of our offices. We don't want to use our resources just um, as a, for, for business and to, to run a, a profitable business. We want to also use our resources to contribute to the greater well-being of the world. Um, we we also uh, have made a commitment to start a Fin Partners Foundation. Uh, we haven't done that yet. We will be doing that, and we're just waiting for um, certain. A financial targets to be met first, um, and all of our employees will have an opportunity to provide input in how the, the funds and the foundation are um, are given away. And anything else on, on sort of work hard, play nice? And the reason I ask is because in conversation after conversation I have with people, they will talk about you know the reasons they leave agencies is is oftentimes because of work environments that they feel like were detrimental or not as conducive to collaboration. Um, so is, is there anything else that you all do around just sort of creating a work environment where people work hard, but there's still sort of, you know, a niceness? Well, it, it really uh, is manifest in so many of the decisions that the management team makes um, on an ongoing basis. We were just in a meeting yesterday of our founding managing partners and talking about um, launching a new policy for uh, new parents, both mothers and fathers. And which we'll be announcing uh, shortly, and it's it's uh, more generous than the policy we've had in place, and it's probably going to be at the cutting edge, at the leading edge of what agencies are doing and trying to make um, the work environment as friendly as possible for uh, new parents, both mothers and fathers. Um, it, it's manifest in our uh, how we make decisions about the health insurance we provide and what can, what employees contribute and and what costs we cover, and um, uh, you know, I think many agencies have uh, uh, food in the office. We do a lot of that. Uh, you know, then we have you know summer, summer cruises in New York, and uh, everybody has a holiday party, which we do. But we also give a lot of extra time off. Um, we have uh, extra summer hours. Mm -hmm. We have uh, we close between Christmas and New Year's. Mm -hmm. Um, we have um, frequent, or reg I should say regular retreats at our own retreat center in upstate New York. It's Hunter in the Catskill Mountains. Mm -hmm. And in the, the fall, we had a two and a half day retreat for, for 35 mid-level people, drawn from all of our offices. In the spring, we had a, a two and a half day retreat for 70 of our most senior executives from all of our offices, again in our, our retreat in upstate New York. Mm -hmm. It's a beautiful mm -hmm. setting. We have several guest houses mm -hmm. uh, uh, in uh, Hunter, New York, or upstate, uh, right near the, the our retreat center, and those are available for free for any of our staff members to use for their own personal vacations, or if they want to, you know, take a long weekend, they can work from up there on Friday and then take the weekend off. Um, yeah. So there are there are many different things we do, uh, but but it, it also has to do with you know how I treat my colleagues and how I ask all my colleagues to treat their colleagues. And if we find somebody who is not treating their colleagues in a work hard, play nice uh, way, we'll have a conversation about it. And we'll talk about our core value and say, you know, th this is important to us and we all have to buy into this. So 
you know, there's not one thing we do. There are many, many different things we do that relate to these core values. Right, right. Good, good, good point on sort of, you know, comes from sort of the, the top down in terms of how folks treat each other. So I want to talk a little bit about about the, the Horn acquisition, of course, since you know you know we we had Sabrina um, on the on the call on the on the podcast earlier. So so what does this Horn acquisition mean for your footprint in tech? So my understanding is that even before the buy, that technology was Finn Partners' largest practice area, in, primarily more in consumer tech, um, and now with the Horn acquisition, technology is about twenty million in in revenue. Correct. Mm-hmm. So it's it's not um, the dominant part of our business. It is. It was, and, and now is still, and will uh, will be, I believe, for a long time, our largest single practice. Uh, we we have over a hundred people throughout the agency that are only working on tech, and it's consumer tech, and it's it's B two B tech. Mm-hmm. Uh, so uh, and it's the, the, our tech practice is spread throughout almost all of our offices. It's a very important part of our San Francisco office, of course, but it's also an important part of our Chicago office. It's an important part of our New York office. Our, our uh, European offices, uh, London, Paris, and Munich, are almost entirely tech. Um, our Jerusalem office is almost entirely tech. Um, we have technology business in our Nashville office. So we have some technology business in our Los Angeles office, um, so, um, and some in our Detroit office, too. So it, it, it really is spread throughout almost all of our offices. So, um, so what, what, what do you think is the advantage, or, or what, what is the advantage of buying, of buying porn? Like, what avenues do you think that'll open up for Finn that maybe didn't exist before? Well, um, you know, we, we acquired a Johnson King a year ago, and there were a, a European B2B tech firm. And that was very important to us because we our clients need services beyond the U.S. So that was why we made that, that acquisition. And with um, the acquisition of the Horn Group, you know, there are a couple of issues here. One is um, Sabrina uh, Horn has been, uh, you know, a star in the uh, tech PR world for a very long time. She's been at the cutting edge. And you know, it was I, my, I, it was clear to me this was a fantastic opportunity for us to have her join us and become our U.S. tech practice leader. Um, so what this means is um, she will be driving the practice and helping us grow it throughout all of our U.S. offices, and she'll be working with our overseas offices also. Um, so it, what what this this really meant for us is uh, a, a great opportunity to to. Continue the growth, and and you know she'll she'll we have a meeting um, uh, next week in Chicago that she may have mentioned to you of about twenty of our uh, senior tech team members from uh, our different offices, and it's going to be a strategy meeting. We're meeting in Chicago. It's going to be a strategy meeting about you know what's next. How are we going to continue to to grow our tech practice into you know, a really strong and stellar part of Partners. Oh wow! Yeah, that's um, that should be interesting. Um, so uh, let's. Uh, I mean, given that you know this already is your largest practice, I, I'm just curious about you know what. I mean, I, I know you'll probably have more clarity after this meeting, but I mean, do you have any idea in terms of what direction you want to see things go around technology? Well, I, I'll really leave that to uh, Sabrina and the rest of the, the leaders in the tech practice in terms of which aspects of tech 
to, to, to expand in. We're, we're in many different aspects of tech now. We'll, we'll be adding more over time, I'm sure, and just deepen our, our expertise and client base in the various areas in which we already are involved. So let's talk about some of the other practice areas that you want to really focus on in, in 2016. Can you touch on that for a bit? Yes. Um, so um, other practice areas that are very important to us are health. And um, you know that we hired Gil Bash as our health practice leader earlier this year. He is doing a fantastic job for us. And health is growing rapidly here. And it's clear that's going to be a very important practice for us in the future. Um, travel is an important uh, practice for us, and we acquired M Silver. It was actually our first acquisition about a year after a launch. Uh, we have about 50 people who focus just on the tourism sector, and um, we'll, we'll, I'm quite confident that we'll see some growth there in the future. Uh, another very important area for us is CSR and social impact. Um, that is sort of very uh, connected to our core values, you know, the core value of, of you know, wanting to, to give back and help make the world a better place. And I think that we'll be, um, uh, we'll see some, some important growth in that area in 2016. Um, digital is a uh, strong digital creative. We have about 45 people spread throughout different offices in that practice area. And I made a commitment to build our digital and creative team to 100 within um, the next couple of years. Um, so hopefully we'll have some announcements in the next 12 months or so in that sector. Public affairs is important. Consumer uh, education is a very important uh, sector for us. It's it's one of our largest. Mm -hmm. uh, I don't think I mentioned arts. You know, we really have the largest uh, arts practice in the, the PR world. Mm -hmm. and I think you know we're we're handling some of the, the largest arts assignments uh, globally. Mm -hmm. CM openings and performing arts centers around the world, and it's a very important practice for us. Wow, so so everything, um, which is good. And you guys are kind of a true generalist in that sense. I mean, you all are, are, have really strong expertise and capabilities across sectors, which is a really good place to be. Um, let me just say one thing about that. I think it's really important that we have, uh, that Fin Partners is very diversified in a number of ways. We have diversified practices. We're diversified that we have lots of different offices, uh, so we have a lot of geography. And um, no one client represents more than 3% of our business, and that's very important. So, you know, that, that some agencies are in the scary position of having one client that's really dominant. And it, it, we, it was clear to us in the beginning that we wanted to have a diversified client portfolio. Mm -hmm. Diversified our practice area, geography, and size. Mm -hmm. And I, I should actually point out that I, I didn't point out when I introduced you, Peter, is that uh, Finn Partners was our mid-size agency of the year in North America this year. So so we, we've been noticing sort of the good work that you guys have been doing, um, both just from a, from a creative side, just from the campaign side, and then also just from the business performance. Well, Peter, it, it was such a pleasure to have you on, on the podcast today and, and to hear kind of from both you and, and Sabrina. Um, I'm sure we'll be in touch. I, there are a couple of things you mentioned on this podcast that I'm going to be following up with you directly on. Um, but, but yeah, let's, uh, I'm sure love to have you on, on the show again at some point. Thank you to Peter and thank you to Sabrina, our guest today. And, uh, we will join you again, listeners for our next echo chamber.
Thank you all for listening. Thanks to Marketeers 4DC for producing today's show. We'll be back in a couple of weeks. 